You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. We're going to read 2 Timothy um, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and then Isaiah 66, 1 and 2. So, first, te- 2 Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Isaiah 66, Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is my place of rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You may be seated. Good morning. How is everybody? Wake up to the nice aroma of smoke. Instead of what folders in your cup, this place uh, that's part of waking up is fire smoke. Not really. All right, we're starting a new sermon series titled uh, uh, "Here I Stand." I'm taking that line from well, you'll discover later in the sermon series from some somebody famous. Uh, and each week we're going to look at one of the tenets of our faith. So, so I will wear a shirt. Uh, we will do giveaways. I will not give away my shirt that I'm wearing, but I will have something on my shirt that lines up with the, that, that particular Sunday's uh, message. In this case, it says sola scriptura. Who knows what that means? It's Latin, and it means what? Scripture alone. So I'm going to be talking about the Bible today and why, why we believe what we believe about the Bible. But before that, each Worship service. We're going to do some giveaways, some you know, give away some prizes because I think it'll be fun. It's October. It's that festive time of the of the year before the horrible snow comes. Well, usually in Cheyenne it comes during October too. But I want to give stuff away. So uh, one of you have you have to look on your she- your seat and you'll see a little sticky note. If you have it, it's orange. Uh, okay, hold it up. Okay, you just are, you're getting the Reformation, the ABCs of the Reformation. Jonathan, can you be my Vanna White? And just, thank you. Sorry. I did this in the first two services. And Okay. I have two other things, I think. I wasn't going to give away the third thing, but I'm going to do this one. All right, so I have another kid's book. So I have a combination of kid's books I'll be giving away through the course of the sermon series. I've got some coffee mugs. I have some DVDs, all kinds of stuff that we're going to be doing for the next, uh, well, after this week, four weeks. Uh, okay, if you could stand, all of you, just stand. We're going to do some, some aerobics, get you warmed up for the sermon by having you stand and sit, stand and sit, stand and sit. So uh, I have this uh, really awesome uh, children's book, The Garden, The Curtain, and The Cross. Uh, really good stuff. If you, um, if you have a child or grandchild under the age of three, sit down. 
under the age of three, child or grandchild, okay? All right, good, good. Stay, stay, stay there. Uh, if you have a child or grandchild over the age of seven, stand up, or sit down. So over the age of seven, sit down. I know it's, I'm kind of confusing. Um, all right, so between... So if you have a child or grandchild that is under... That is under the... Oh, no, no, everybody will sit down. Um, <laughs> if you have a child or grandchild that's six years, six years of age, sit down. Five... Sit down. Uh, all right. Uh, four. Four. If you have a child, if you have a grandchild, period. Sit down. <laughs> I'm singling out them. Um, really? Okay. If you have a if you have a grandchild, sit down. No. All right. Uh, okay. So now we're. What are we at now? <laughs> it's a third service. Uh, um, how about? Three years of age. If they're three years of age, what? I only have one book. Um, Jackson, you don't have any children. Okay. Did I? Oh, did I? If you if you don't have children, sit down. There. I've only had two cups of coffee this morning. What did I say? I don't even know what I said anymore. <laughs> this is water, I promise. It's not vodka. Um, all right, I'm going to do... Okay, this, I, I, I think cognitively I can handle this one. Um, all right, so this, we're going to have... We're doing... We, I have two of these. One of these is going to be a raffle prize. So sometime like towards the end of the sermon series, we will give one of these away. It is a premium leather edition of the Reformation Study Bible, the condensed version. So it's kind of a nice, nice size. I have the second one in my hand. And um, I, this may make jealous the first two services because I didn't do this for the first two services. I'm going to do it here. So everybody stand. And you have to be truthful. <laughs> We're talking about the Bible here, okay? Um, if you have a study Bible, sit down. Hey, I knew that would wean out some people. If you have an ESV, English Standard Version, that I preach from, if you have any version of the ESV, sit down. All right, you want something, aren't you? Right? Yeah, so. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, boy. Um... I don't want to like. No, no, don't listen to him. He doesn't know. He's just Vanna. He's Vanna White. Um, okay, if you okay, no, stay standing. Uh, if you have attended uh, Meadowbrook Church for more than ten years, sit down. No, okay, uh, more than. Nine years? More than eight years. Oh, boy. Uh, more than seven years. Less than seven years. What am I doing? Less, less than six years. 
You're twins. How am I? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be like Solomon and say which one of you loves the Bible more. And you can take turns. So the Bible talks about sharing, and 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 not fighting. So you you can decide who who gets it. Um, I don't know how else to you know. You guys don't have a study by okay. Uh, okay, I got a perfect perfect plan. I have another one, so I don't have it with me, but it's in my office. So after church, I want both of you to have one. So after church, go uh, see me, and we'll make sure you get one. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. We don't want anybody arguing over the Bible. <laughs> yeah. I'm going, to, I'm, going to talk about, I'm going to talk about that. A lot of that happened in history. Okay. Uh, so imagine, if you will, of a time when, when the church actually forgot the gospel. That actually happened. When I say church, I'm using the, the only church or denomination that existed during this time was the Roman Catholic Church. Now, Catholic, just so you know, is not a denomination. Catholic means universal, so the Roman Universal Church. Uh, I'm not going to get into all the, all the history that led up to that. I just want you to know that there was a time that the church forgot the gospel, uh, really didn't feel like it was in the best interest of, its, uh, of the organization for people to be able to have a Bible in their language that they could read you know, and, and understand. For the first 500 years of the church's exist, existence, so from when Jesus rose from the grave uh, and the 500 years that you know, followed, portions of the scripture that's uh, in our Bible were translated in more than 500 languages. Okay? In, a, in 600 AD, there was a version of the Bible that was that was released called the Latin Vulgate. It was in Latin, the Latin Vulgate. Uh, and, and over the years, it, it was the conviction of those who were in power in the church that the only pure language that the Bible should be translated into was Latin. So the original languages of the, of the Bible is Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. And then they translated it into Latin. And for for decades following the release of, of the Latin version of the Bible, it became the, the conviction and the, the belief of, of the church and the powers who, in the church, like the Pope, that, that unless, you, unless you have a Bible in Latin, you, you're not permitted to read the Bible in any other language, except for maybe the original languages. That, ha that was the case for hundreds and hundreds of years. So imagine uh, that you could not read Latin, and that was most of the people by the time you got to the 1300s. Most people could not read Latin. Only those who were highly educated could. And a lot of the clergy were educated. They could read Latin. But, but, but people, like the people who wanted to go to church, who, who called themselves Christians and wanted to learn more about God, they couldn't read a Bible in their own language. And uh, that happened from 600 A.D. to eventually to, to like the 1300s. I mean, you're talking over 700 years uh, where people, where the only version of the Bible that was available to people was in Latin. 
I mean, there were probably uh, some cases of Bibles you know, translated in other languages, but that was against the laws of the church that controlled politics and owned a lot of property, was super wealthy. And in the 1300s, a guy by the name of John Wycliffe came onto the scenes, and, and, and he really believed that the Bible should be available and should be on every shelf in every home in England. And he, he had some influence in the church. He was respected by a number of people. But when he started talking about that, it made the powers to be in the church very angry with him. So he, he started translating the Bible into English. And, he, and at that time, you didn't have the, the ability to mass-produce books through the printing press. Uh, so he was handwriting the Bible. And uh, he never really finished it. But during his years, he, he preached the gospel. He taught what he was learned in the Bible. He saw that there was a, a chasm between what the Bible taught and the way some of the popes and, and clergy were living their lives. Uh, one of the popes basically said this of Wycliffe. He said, Pope Gregory VII said, uh, that Wycliffe was guilty of vomiting out the filthy dungeon of his heart, most wicked and damnable heresies. That's what the, that was coming from the church. And, and the reason why they said that was because he really believed that people should be able to read the Bible in their own language. Another pope, after Wycliffe died and was buried, said of Wycliffe that he is a disciple of Antichrist. And in 1427, they exhumed his body, his bones. They burned his bones, condemned him as a heretic, took the ashes that were left, and dumped them in a nearby river. Twelve years before Wycliffe's ashes were dumped in a river, a Czech priest by the name of John Huss, who admired Wycliffe, felt the same thing that Wycliffe felt. He just, the Bible should be translated into the language of the people instead of Latin. People should be able to read the Bible for themselves. And he also uh, believed that, that the gospel should be made available. People should know the gospel and understand the gospel, that salvation is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, period. Now, he may not, maybe not have, would have said it the, that exact way, but he felt that. He was promised safe passage to, to give an account for what he was teaching, meaning, we won't kill you, we just want to talk to you. And so he said, okay. But the church lied to him. And as soon as they had got, were able to get their hands on him, they condemned him to death. They tied him to a stake. They lit, they, they lit whatever was around him on fire to, to kill him by fire. As, he was, as his body was being consumed by the flames, he was heard singing this line from a song, Jesus, Son of the living God, have mercy on me. There's a, could be a myth, there's a legend, a story that says that he said why he was being burned, he said, or, or just before he was about to be burned, he said, today you roast a goose, which that's what his name means is goose, but there's coming a swan whose song you will not be able to silence a hundred years from now. And some believe that he was prophesying about Martin Luther. I don't know how true that story is. What is true is that he sang about Jesus being his, his Savior, 
and, 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 and having mercy over his soul, being burned to death for believing that people should be able to read a Bible in their language so they can understand the gospel and, 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 and also have the ability to hold the clergy and the Pope accountable to the stuff that was being taught in the church of that day. Sometime later, in 1483, of November 10th, a little baby was born in Germany by the name of Martin Luther. Martin Luther. Uh, his parents wanted him to be a lawyer, so they wanted him to go to school to become a lawyer, because by being a lawyer, maybe that would mean that they would uh, have some kind of income and that they would be stable financially. Uh, Martin Luther grew up believing because of what he heard from the clergy and the priests that God was an angry, vengeful, uh, mean-spirited God and that he was really angry with Martin Luther. And so, and people really genuinely believe that, that if they just paid enough money to the church, if they did enough good things for the church, that somehow they would earn favor uh, by God to be able to get into heaven or escape what the church taught at that time, purgatory. How many of you have heard of purgatory? It doesn't exist in the Bible, just so you know. It was taught by the church of that day. And, uh, and so, so he was walking home from school, from the university. He was 22 years old. He almost got struck by lightning and knocked him to the ground, and he did the only thing that he knew how to do. He pleaded with one of the saints of the church, St. Anne. He said, help me, St. Anne, I will become a monk. And that's exactly what he did, and his parents were horrified that he was going to be a monk because guess what? There's not a whole lot of money in the monk business, right? But, but Martin was more concerned about his soul, and so he joined the monastery, he uh, worked harder than any other monk uh, uh, around him. He made everybody angry because he, you know, you know how it is. Have you ever been on a, on a job site where either you or somebody around you worked harder than everybody else and put everybody else to shame, right? Well, that was Martin Luther when it came to religion. And uh, he would go to the confession booth or the confessional, and he confessed everything. He just... You ever, you ever have somebody just kind of pour out their heart to you and it just took hours for them to do that? Um, sometimes trivial stuff. Well, that was Martin Luther. He had a, a, an older priest or an older monk who became a mentor to Martin Luther and he said, Martin, God's not angry with you. You're angry with God. And he encouraged Martin to, to read Galatians, to read Romans, and I believe the Psalms. And that's what he did. Martin Luther said this. He, Luther said of, of himself later in life, he said this. He said, I lost touch with Christ, the Savior and Comforter, and made of him the jailer and hangman of my poor soul. When he opened up Romans and read it, and really read it, not just a, bio, a verse a day keeps the devil away kind of a thing, like read it. I am not ashamed of the guys fell upon Romans chapter 1 verses 16 through 17 for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first also to the Greek for in it and this is what struck him is that for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith I mean like so when he read that and he read something similar in Galatians he thought to himself hey you mean like, I don't have to do a whole bunch of things to earn 
my own righteousness, that in fact I can't earn my own righteousness, that my righteousness, the righteousness that I need has already been provided for me through Jesus who lived the life that I could never live and he died this death that I definitely deserved and he rose on the third day. You mean that's what the Bible teaches? And so he poured his life and his, and his heart and mind over these scriptures that he was reading. Eventually he was encouraged to lecture on Galatians, Romans, and, I, and also the Psalms, I believe, uh, in, in the Wittenberg University. And he was doing that, and he was doing that for, I believe, about five years. So he was pouring his heart and his life over the Scriptures, and he was seeing in the Bible things that didn't jive with the Roman Catholic Church of that day. And what, what the popes were teaching and, and the clergy were teaching. In fact, some, many of the clergy didn't even know how to read Latin. So they were just teaching stuff that they heard. And one day, this guy by the name of John Tetzel came through Germany uh, to sell indulgences. So if you want to know what indulgences are, it's kind of a document that basically you pay for, you purchase, and you're basically, by doing that, you're purchasing favor through the church with God, either for your loved ones who have died before you or for yourself in hopes of, of getting you out of purgatory. So there were, most people the church would teach went to purgatory. They didn't, maybe didn't go to hell, but they went to purgatory. And the only way to get them out is by just the stuff that you did, religious stuff that you did. Tetzel would say, so went through Germany as a way of raising money. He, would, he sold these indulgences to raise money on behalf of the Catholic Church to build St. Peter's Basilica. And uh, he was heard to say this, which enraged Martin Luther when he heard this said, as soon as the coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. And people bought into this. And Luther had enough. And so what he did was he wrote up 95 complaints. Most of it was about the, indulgence, about the practice of indulgences and some other things. And he nailed it to the Wittenberg door. That's, you know, most believe that he went and mailed it to the Wittenberg door. Others believe that it was mailed to somebody of importance. But he, it, the point is, is he didn't intend to turn the world upside down with those 95 complaints. He just wanted to open up a discussion that he thought, hey, this could be an intelligent, spirited, good conversation to be had. Uh, somebody took a copy of his 95 complaints and mass-produced it you know, because of the printing press, and that launched the Protestant Reformation. Um, you know, we'll look at, each week we'll look at a, a different individuals who were part of that. We call them pro, those who protested against the church. That's how we get the name Protestant or Protestant. Um, people who protested against the, the stuff that was coming out of the church. So Luther, he nailed his 95 complaints against the Wittenberg door on October 31st, 1517. So October 31st was not the birth time, the birth date of, of 1517 of Halloween. It's the birth of the Protestant Reformation when, when Luther did that. And there were five tenets of the, of, of the Christian faith that Luther saw in his Bible and others like him saw, and that is that, that, that the Scripture alone is the authority of the church and the authority over the lives of Christians, not the Pope. You know, it was believed that the Pope could say something, and I don't even know the Latin phrase for it, but he could say something, and what he said could have more authority over what the Scriptures actually taught. 
And so Scripture alone is the authority of God over the church and over every Christian and person that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period, for the glory of God alone. Those are the five tenets of the, of, of the Protestant Reformation. Those are hills that I will die on as your pastor. I believe with all my heart that the, that the Bible is the word of God, that, that, that when you read these words, the reason why we ask you to stand to honor, is to honor the reading of God's word because, and you've heard me say this, and I'll say it as long as I'm your pastor, that, that uh, I don't believe that I have anything good to offer you other than what's in the, this, this book, the scriptures, the Bible. And, and when we read these words, you, when you read these words, you hear the very voice that spoke the galaxies into existence. It is the authority of Meadowbrook over, over Meadowbrook. It is the authority over my life, not your pastor, not the staff, not even the elders, the chief authority is the Word of God, and we're bound to it. Somebody, you know, like, so I recognize my role as a lead pastor, so, you know, I'm called into a place of leadership. Somebody put, the, put leadership in its, in a, I think in its right perspective in my brain. He said, leaders, you know what leaders are? Leaders are like, you know, like pizza. Some just have more cheese than others. And I thought... I'm going to remember that. That is so true. So you have permission to call me cheesy, I guess. So, Paul, so, so Martin Luther believed these, and, and, and when his, you know, he, he believed that the Bible should be translated into German. That was the language of the Germans, obviously. And, and the reason why is because of passages like 2 Timothy chapter 3, that all Scripture... Also, let's read this together. Ready? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I mean, think about that. It's, it's profitable. It's, it, why? Because it's the, it's, it's the Word of God. It's inspired by God. It's, like I could, I, I, I could tell you this. This is not boasting. It's just, I've spent a lifetime studying the Bible. Like I, I went to Bible college, right? Um, and then I went and I did a 90-credit master's degree program to study the Bible. And then I entered into a doctoral uh, degree program to study the Bible. I can tell you, I can tell you, there is no theological contradiction in the Bible. And I would tell you this also. Don't take my word for it. Go home and test it out for yourself. Read the Bible. There may be grammatical errors in it from translating, but that's about it. That means that you've had over 30 people who contributed to, to, to the writing of this book under, according to 2 Timothy, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And for that to happen, for the book to not have a bunch of contradictions in it, is a miracle. It's, there's a reason why it stood the test of time. And there's a reason why there were those who wanted to silence anybody who really believed that the Bible was the authority of God or had it bear the, the authority of God. You know, in North Korea, if you have a copy of the Bible, do you know what the punishment is? Death. As is true in many other countries. There are three reasons why Martin Luther decided that he was going to commit a large part of his life to the translation of the Bible into German, and that is that this, that the Bible is the Word of God, 
that it is powerful and that it is the authoritative word of God, and then that it is life-changing. And I'm just going to break those three, three points down in the time that we have left, that the Bible is the word of God. It's the word of God. Over 3,000 times in the Bible, throughout the Bible, uh, is the phrase, to, you can read the phrase, the word of the Lord. The Bible testifies to itself that it is the word of the Lord. Um, that, it, that it is authoritative. The Apostle Peter said of the Apostle Paul that what Paul wrote is Scripture. You know, and Paul said similar things, or wrote similar things. All Scripture is breathed out. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction, for training in righteousness. You know, there was a, another passage that was read at the beginning of you know, the message, and that was in Isaiah chapter 66. I mean, think about what Isaiah 6, chapter 66 says about the Word of God. Like, thus says the Lord. It starts off, right? Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? Meaning, uh, God, God's saying here, look, I, I spoke all this into existence. Like the sun in our solar system is one of billions of suns and solar systems that exist that I spoke into existence. I spoke the, the galaxies into existence, the millions of galaxies that exist, I spoke into existence. So, so anything you want to build for me is not going to come close. I'm like, it, it really doesn't serve me any. Like, what is the house that you will build for me? The heaven is my throne. All these things my hand has made and all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But, but this is the one to whom I will look he who is what? Humble. Well, what does that mean? Like, I'm, I, what I am hearing in terms of the word of God has authority over my life. I'm submitting myself to that. Um, humble and contrite in spirit and what? Trembles at my word. Now, the word tremble here in, in Hebrew is not not the kind of trembling Luther did when he almost got struck by lightning and he thought God was going to smite him if, until, unless he became a monk. It's trembling is recognizing who it is that, that created all the galaxies. Um, that, that it, it's a recognition that, that this being who is God is infinitely powerful. It's kind of the sensation you might have if you were looking at a F5 tornado about a mile away that was, a, that was about a mile long. How many of you would feel some sense of trembling? I would. I, I feel that with an F1. <laughs> I don't want that near me. Some of you, you may be used to it, but I, I don't really long to experience baseball-sized hail. I, just, it's just, I know it's coming because we live in Cheyenne. Um, that's just reality. But... Trembling here is God is who he is, and he has spoken. And, he, and we have in the pages of this book his word. It's the same word, the word tremble is used of Gideon. Gideon was this, this warrior, this, uh, he's a judge in the Bible, and in, in the book of Judges you can read about it. I think Judges would make a really great movie if somebody just made it into a film. Gideon was a pretty cool dude, so, so he assembled an army that was really small compared to the army that wanted to kill all of the, the Israelites, and God basically said to Gideon, you know, uh, your army's too big. 
I want, to tell, I want to remove every reason for you to boast because I'm going to deliver you from this army in a way that you can't even you know, wrap your minds around. And, um, and we're told of those, some of the soldiers, the soldiers in Gideon's army were trembling. It's the same Hebrew word that's used there as it's used here in Isaiah chapter 66. There's another guy by the name of Ezra who after, after the temple in Jerusalem was leveled, um, a group of Hebrew, uh, Jews went back into Jerusalem to rebuild it. Ezra kind of led that charge. And then he left for a period of time people groups who worshipped other gods. And that's, you know, God's word said, don't do that because it's bad for you. <laughs> They'll lead you astray. And, and so Ezra came back, and the description is used of the men who recognized that that was wrong. They trembled at God's word. So that's the same word here. It's just recognizing that God's word is authoritative. Martin Luther believed that, that every person should be able to read the Bible in their own language. And then the second thing is that the Bible is powerful. It's powerful. Now, I, math was not my greatest subject. So when I found this information on Google. Uh, I Googled it, which means it's got to be true. Uh, the, the power of our sun is 8 times 10 to the 16th power. Of what, of what our, our largest power plants can produce. Our largest power plant can produce 5,000 megawatts of power. I can't even wrap my mind around that, okay? And when we read in Genesis 1 that God, in the beginning, God what? He created the heavens and the earth. So he, he created these things, and, and think about the power of just our sun, and it's just one sun of billions of suns. God created that. And every time you open your Bible, and you read the words in the, words in the pages of your Bible, uh, you hear the very words, the same voice you hear that spoke the galaxies into existence. So let's read this together. The psalmist said in Psalm 19, this, let's read this together. It's about the Word of God. It's about, it's about what the Word of God is. Let's read it together. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. That's, you know, that, 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 here, you know what it's saying? I'm going to paraphrase it for you. That what's in these pages from Genesis to Revelation is not meant to kill your joy. The Bible is not a killjoy. You know what the Bible is? You want to know why it's been provided? Why, why God, I like to think of it as his love letter to mankind. Do you know why we have it? It is to maximize our joy. Listen, you and I, we were made in the image of God. Believe it or not, you bear the image of the living God. Every nerve ending in you, every fiber in your being, every organ, your eyes, your mouth, your hands, your feet, your brain, everything about you was made to know God. 
It's made to know God. And, and until you know him, you will, never, you will never experience the kind of joy and contentment you were made to experience. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, every time something bad happens, you're all, you know, it's all rainbows and, you know, and unicorns. Like, like, everything is great. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about contentment. I'm talking about knowing, you know, even though this takes everything away from me, whether it's a disease or whatever, I, I know who God is. And I'm made for him and, and he has, he, he's planning these things out. He's using these things in my life for my good and his glory. And the Bible is not made or is not put together to destroy your joys, to maximize it. I mean, think about it. Like, like our world, our nation, our, our, our culture, American culture is consumed by the idea of sex, Right? And so, so if you really want to experience sex in its fullest, just have as much of it as you, as you could possibly have it with as many different people as humanly possible. Does that really maximize your joy? No. You would think the one who designed it as a gift would know something about it. You say, you know what the best place to experience that is? In the context of a marriage where you not only are friends with the, this person, you love this person, you agape them. I was telling I told this to my boy, well, to Nathan, and, and um, I, I tell folks who go through premarital counseling. I got one couple going through premarital counseling now. I got another couple who wants to. And uh, I tell them a bunch of things. But I, I tell them, you know, our culture, our culture starts off this way. This is what the world tells you. It's, it's okay, so, so you really want to know if this person's the right fit for you? Start with eros. There are three words in the Bible, in the Greek language, that describe love. Eros. It's erotic love. Um, start with that. And if it works out, then maybe you can move to phileo. What's phileo love? That's friendship love. And if that works out, maybe you can move on to agape. What's agape love? Unconditional love. And instead, the Bible says, no, 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 no. No, you want to know how to maximize your joy and maximize your, your marriage and your relationship within your marriage? Start off with phileo. Become a friend of that person first. And then... Then as you get to know that person, you fall in love with that person, then that's agape. Agape love. That's unconditional. I will die for you, love. And then, and then after that, make a commitment. I'm going to live with this person for the rest of my life. I am committing my heart and my soul to this person because I agape this person. And you want to know what the fruit is of agape love? Eros. Eros. The Bible is written to maximize our joy, not destroy it. And, and when, you, when you read the Bible, like I said, not, not, not a verse a day keeps the devil away kind of a thing. I mean, read the Bible. Listen to it. Let it saturate. Let the words of these pages saturate your heart and soften your heart. It will change your life. It will change your life. The Word of God has the power to create galaxies. <laughs> and it has the power to transform your heart. I read something by, or somebody quoted John Calvin once. He's another guy I'll talk about later on in the sermon series, but he said something that gave me pause. And he said, you know, for anybody who's teaching the Bible uh, or preaching the Bible, like a pastor like me, if they pour over the Scriptures and they allow the Scriptures, the Bible, to saturate their hearts and they're listening to the Scriptures and they're lining their lives up with the Scriptures, this is what will happen. He said this, he said, God has cho so chosen to anoint the lips and tongues of his speakers that when they speak the voice, or when they speak, the voice of Jesus comes out. 
God has so chosen to anoint the lips and tongues of his speakers that when they speak, the voice of Jesus comes out. That's why I say, you know, take everything I say not for granted. Measure it against the word of God. But my heart for you is that man, I just, I don't have anything good in me to offer you other than what's in this book. And I really, that, honestly, that is my only hope for you to experience transformation in your own lives. Um, you know, my, my mentor said the best way to avoid problems is to have them. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, let, let the word of God speak and let the chips fall where they fall and let God deal with the rest. Luther was convinced of this when he, when he came across passages like the one we started off with. The word of God is profitable for teaching. It is, it is able to, to, to mold and shape the, uh, the life of a person. Hebrews chapter 4 is one of my favorite passages. It says that the word of God is living and active. Do you know what that means? It means it's organic. It's living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Why? Because it is the word of God. And thirdly, and this is super brief because we're out of time, the Bible is life-transforming. It's life-changing. I promise you, listen, I promise you that if you read the Bible and not just read it, but let it, like, listen to it, what does that look like when you listen to the scriptures? Well, I'll give you an example. So I was, my Bible's turned open to Isaiah 66 right now. This is the one to whom I will look. Who? Like, when you read something like that, who, who are you talking about? Like, who is, the, who, who is this passage talking about? Who is God talking about here? Well, he's talking about me. He's talking about you. He who is humble. What does it mean to be humble? Oh, I know. It means that not only should I listen to the word of God, but I recognize it's got authority over my life. That this is, God is not about destroying my joy. He wants to maximize it for my good and his glory. And contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. What does it mean to tremble at, my, at the word of God? It means to, to listen to it and to obey it. Sometimes that will cost you some relationships. It will cost you some friendships, possibly. But it is for your good. So Martin Luther was promised that if a safe passage, just like Huss was promised, John Huss was promised, did we order you to appear before the Diet of Worms? It's a, just, it was basically a court proceeding and Luther was the center of that court proceeding, everything that he wrote. And they said to him, they said, we, we are demanding that you recant, meaning we want you to deny everything that you've written as being true. And Luther knew what was at stake. He knew that this could be the end of his life. And so he asked, can you please give me one more night to think carefully about these things and to pray over these matters? And I will have an answer for you in the morning. And they said, yes, your, your wish is granted. And so he went to his room and he prayed and he, he labored over it. He, I mean, he, suffered, he experienced a lot of anxiety over this. It was not the, an easy thing for him. Often our history books paint Luther or church history paints Luther as this super Christian. He was not a super Christian. He had many flaws. He got up the next morning and he said, you know, it is true that I have written some things there were, and I used language stronger than necessary. But 
And this is what he said, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. And he went into hiding after that. Um, it was believed that he died. He didn't. He took on a different name and he translated the Bible into German. During that time, he married a nun, which made the church really happy. Um, married a nun, and the life and, and the world was changed as a result. Germany was turned upside down as a result in a good way. People began to get access to the Bible in their language and were able to hold the Pope and, and priests accountable to the way they were living. And it also affected the way people lived their lives as a result. They were able to really see and understand what it meant to be a Christian. And the Bible has transformed and changed the lives of so many others. Uh, Adoram Judson, who uh, wanted to go to India to bring the gospel to India, but India was closed. And so in the early, I think early 1800s, wound up in Myanmar. And in Myanmar, spent a lifetime learning the Burmese language. It used to be known as Burma. Learning the Burmese language and provided the Bible in Burmese to the Burmese. And uh, a church was started, birthed in Burma. Uh, uh, sometime later, in the early 1900s, uh, a guy in Minneapolis was feeling the call uh, as a result of being influenced by Adoram Judson, the call to go to a northern tribe in Myanmar who had not yet been reached with the gospel. His name was Ola Hansen. I've shared this story before. Ola Hansen and his wife went to the northern tribe of Myanmar to bring the gospel to these people. He, he wore glasses and, and, and the people didn't have any, their Bible or they didn't have their language in written form. They just translated it down orally. So he stared at their lips as they enunciated words while they were chewing betel nut. I don't know if you ever heard of betel nut, but it's horrible. <laughs> and then your teeth are all red, and, and it's very popular in Far East Asia. And so they would spray betel nut on his glasses. He has to wipe off his glasses in this little hut as he learned the language. Spent over 20 years learning the language and, tra and translated the Bible into the language of the Kachin, which is the tribe of my wife. So he brought the gospel to my wife's great-grandparents. If he had not gone to, the, gone to that northern tribe, the Kachin tribe, I never would have met my wife. My children would never have been born. The Bible transforms lives. When the, when the Kachin heard John 3.16 read to them for the first time in a language they could understand, when they heard, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you know what the people did? They wept. We've heard the voice of God. And for many of you, you have experienced the transforming impact of the Bible over your life. I I learned how to be a better husband because of the Bible. I learned how to be a better parent because of the Bible. I am who I am today because of how God has used his word to shape my life and is continuing to do that. And uh, he'll do it in your life too, I promise you. And if you're here and you're just trying to figure out the Christian faith, ask your hard questions. 
I'd encourage you to read the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament and pray to God. Even if you don't believe God exists, pray to him. Say, God, I, I don't know if you exist, but maybe you do. I, I don't know, but would you just speak to me through the Bible? Speak to me through the Gospel of Mark. I promise you, your life will be different as a result. And for the rest of us who believe in Jesus, don't treat the Bible as, you know, if I just read a verse here and there, I'll be okay. Let it shape your life. Let it saturate your heart. And when you hear it, and when you hear a sense that God is calling you to change something in your life, obey. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the promise in your scriptures. Thank you for this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.